day 41, and what the church's, church believes and confesses concerning the seventh commandment. What does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 51, stanzas 1 and 4. Psalm 51, 1 and 4, after the sermon. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that, of course, includes you, boys and girls, who are members of God's covenant and congregation You shall not commit adultery, the seventh commandment. If you narrow the focus of the commandment, it means you shall not break marriage. That's the narrowest focus of this commandment. A married person may not seek a relationship with someone other than their own spouse. Scripture, however, teaches that this commandment is much broader in scope. It not only warns us against adultery, but against Unchastity, that is, against all impure actions and desires, even anything that leads to such things, as we confess in this Lord's Day. So it's clear this command addresses both the married and the unmarried, the old and the young, all those within or outside of holy marriage. Whether we're married or single, we are called to live chaste and disciplined lives. And that is because... We already confessed Lord's Day 1. I belong with body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where the depth of this commandment comes from. So I've summarized the sermon with the theme in the seventh commandment, God warns us against all unchastity. We'll consider the basis of this commandment, the meaning of this commandment, and what it means to live under this commandment. So when the Catechism says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit and we are to keep ourselves pure and holy, that is not something that the authors of the Catechism just dreamt of. We find those words echoed in, or an echo of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body and in your body. So we are God's children. That means that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that God will make his home with those who believe in him. And since our God is a holy God, we are called to be holy. 
That means we must ban all sin from body and soul. And for that purpose, congregation, we have to listen to God's word. Our confession here, the catechism, is very practical. Just as practical as Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul writes there that there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality among us or any kind of impurity. And he warns against obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which is out of place. In that same chapter, he warns against drunkenness, which leads to debauchery, which is a godless and immoral lifestyle. All of these things lead to unchastity, and God abhors all of them. And I'm sure that I don't have to really tell you that our sinful nature doesn't need much of a suggestion before we end up in one of these sins. It's easy to head into the wrong direction, and the devil knows this too. So we should not underestimate his influence in the world and through the world and we should not overestimate our ability to overcome and resist temptation think of what happened to david a man after god's own heart the beloved psalmist of the old testament committing adultery and then murder to cover it up if we are not careful the sins mentioned in lord's day 41 are there before you know it And since God desires to have clean temples to live in, then we also ought to take these warnings and the warning of Scripture seriously. If we carry dirt and impurity into the temple, into the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, we have the potential to lose God's blessing. And so we have to keep His dwelling holy for the glory of His name. And congregation, that calls for prayer on our part and watchfulness. We also have to keep in mind that we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of Christ. We have been bought with his precious blood, so we belong to him, soul and body. And we may not separate the two. You might recall that this is what some members of the church in Corinth did already. In the early church, Paul had to write against this kind of idea. They thought that if they would join themselves to a temple prostitute, that was just fine because they were were not sinning with their soul but just with their body. But the Apostle Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies also belong to the Lord Jesus, and we may not sin with our bodies, which have also been bought with that precious blood of Christ. And furthermore, there is no possibility of heavenly glory without your body. The Bible teaches that there will be a resurrection, and we will receive glorified bodies, but it is It's still us. It's still our body. And that does not give us an excuse then to do with this earthly body whatever we want to do. Not only our soul, but also our body belongs to Christ. It's a temple of God and of the Holy Spirit. And then we also believe that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us to enlighten us, to sanctify us, to strengthen us. So that we learn to deny ourselves, so that we begin to have dominion over sin. And the Holy Spirit then prays in us and with us and for us, and he unites us with Christ, and he prepares us for eternity. So again, then, if we bring dirt and impurities into this temple where he dwells, then we are resisting his work. We are quenching the fire of the Spirit, and we grieve him. So, we belong, soul and body, 
to the Lord. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. That is the basis of this commandment. Let's consider the meaning of this commandment. Question and answer 108 tells us in a nutshell what is forbidden and what is demanded. The command warns us that all unchastity is cursed by God. Now, unchastity is a, a lack of purity. It means being guilty of and participating in unlawful or illegitimate sexual activity. And that same meaning can also be found in the word adultery. To adulterate is to mix two things that don't belong together. Do not rightly belong together. And notice, congregation, that neither our confession nor the Bible speak of sexuality as something that is dirty. In the beginning, God created all things good, including the physical relationship between husband and wife. God created two very different people, but he created them to complement one another, also physically. It's true, of course, that because of sin, many people have been profoundly hurt and scarred because of the abuse of this gift. And as a result, many people see it as something that is perverted, and they do not know or recognize the proper boundaries of human sexuality, but from the beginning it was not so. God created Adam and Eve to enjoy one another, and he made this good, and he instituted marriage, As a holy institution, God himself officiated at the first wedding in the Bible when he brought the woman to Adam. And that's why God curses all lack of purity, all illegitimate sexual activity, and anything that leads to it. And we don't read about that curse in our confession, in the seventh commandment, but we don't but we do notice that when there is an explanation or clarification of this commandment in Scripture, the element of curse does come out. You can just think of all the curses that are mentioned, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, in connection with deviant behavior. And Paul reminds us of that too, when he says, anyone who acts in this way, is there, he says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And the Lord Jesus said the very same thing to the Apostle John in the very last book, in the last chapter of the Bible. He says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral. So it's clear that unchastity is cursed by God. And that means cursed is to be outside of the communion of God. It means that unchastity has no place With God or in his church, which is the body of Christ, unchastity has no place in the temple of the Holy Spirit. And those who practice these sins and persist in them then have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You see, brothers and sisters, the fall into sin has brought a lack of discipline into our lives. God created man in his image, And God made Adam the ruler of creation. Adam was to have dominion. Dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and and everything else that God created, including the gift of physical intimacy with his wife, which God had given to him. And in paradise, before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve never struggled with this. But that all changed, of course, with the fall into sin. Adam went from having dominion to being dominated by sin. 
The fall into sin has turned people from being kings and queens of God's creation into fools who have been dominated by their lust and their own desires, which the Apostle Paul says, if it really comes down to it, is idolatry, the service of self instead of the service of God. Man went from living for God to living for himself. And that is why, again, people who have been bought with the price of Christ's blood must detest all of these things, must detest all unchastity. Congregation, we need to hate these sins and flee from them. We need to recognize the enemy and equip ourselves for battle. That's what this command calls for. Paul writes in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And that's what this commandment really calls for. It calls for self-control. Right? We must live chaste and disciplined lives, we confess, for the sake of God who loves us, for the sake of Christ who died for us, for the honor of God's holy name. And this commandment calls us to live this way within and outside of holy marriage, in public and in private, when you're on your own or with someone else. And this is for the honor of God's name, for the benefit of the neighbor, and for your own eternal future. Your life depends on it. And what does it mean to live a chaste and disciplined life? Well, it means that in spite of sin, in spite of temptation, we live according to God's will under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because after all, we are God's children, created by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so then we come to the application of this commandment, living according to this commandment. It's no stretch to say that there is no one who has not sinned against this command. Who has not done something against the seventh commandment? We are all guilty. It's been part of man's history from the beginning of the fall into sin. And we know that it was such a pervasive sin that already in the ancient world, God saw the need to give Israel many specific instructions and warnings regarding the seventh commandment. The Bible has has chapters and chapters of warnings about how they ought to live in regard to this command. Just think of Leviticus chapter 22 and, and other chapters. And one of the worst transgressions in regards to this command congregation is when we remain silent about sins against this command, when we hide these sins, when we make excuses for people who prey on the vulnerable. This is one sin about which the church has often been too silent. And history tells us, too, that the church has guilt in this regard. And this, too, congregation, is cursed by God. This type of sin was one of the main reasons why God sent his people into exile to Babylon, in the Old Testament, because they failed to protect the widow and the orphan. They even sacrificed their children to the sex god Molech. But they forgot that God is the father of the orphans and the widows, the protector of widows. Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. 
If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. And that is exactly what happened to unfaithful Israel for their sins against this commandment. Instead of being a light to the nations, Israel instead, they indulged in the same practices that the Canaanites indulged in. And if we jump ahead today to today, are things any different? Never before in the history of communication has so much obscene and indecent material been so easily and freely accessible to everyone. It's available to anyone who has a laptop, a tablet, or a phone. And it's free, and it's easy to hide. The pervasiveness of pornography in our society is absolutely staggering, brothers and sisters, and alarming. I'll just mention a few statistics. According to one reputable website, 9 out of 10 boys in North America are exposed to pornography before the age of 18, with the first exposure coming at the average age of 11 or less. 35% of all Internet downloads, that's not even talking about searches, are related to pornography. 35%. About 35% of Internet users experience unwanted exposure to such pop-ups and ads or misdirected links or emails. One-third of porn viewers are women. About 70% of young adult men and 20% of women use pornography at least once every week. And the numbers are rising. Up to 20% of pastors in North America admit to using, searching such websites in the past month. And there are more statistics that are just as horrifying. And let's not kid ourselves that this is just happening out there. It's happening here too. Sexting, that is requests, for example, for topless naked pictures on Snapchat the expectation of sexual favors among young teenagers, also in our high school, is not unheard of and is perhaps more common than any of us would ever dare to think. The sex god is accessible, it is affordable and concealable, and nobody has to know that you are worshipping at its its altar because you can hide it. And it is such a a terribly destructive God. It is nothing more than pure self-worship. It is a sin against the first commandment, idolatry, a sin of the highest order. And it just ends up making you more lonely and self-destructive. It breeds sorrow and guilt and self-loathing. It breeds mental illness, lies, deceit, and even murder and death and the curse of God. And this sin reaps irreparable consequences in this life and the next. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you have to stay away from this. You have to. Just think of it this way. Every time you view some explicit pictures or videos, you are watching the degrading of someone's mother or daughter 
or son or father or child. And you are participating in the slavery of men and women and children. And you are participating in the debauchery of this world. And with such acts, you are condoning the degrading of the image of God in other people. And even, I would go so far as to say, as secretly enjoying the murder of someone else's soul. You are joining in the massacre that is being orchestrated by the ungodly. So brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents and office bearers in the church, we need to talk about these things and we need to talk to our children about them about the dangers of unchastity. And we need to teach them to adorn their lives with purity and holiness. And teach them why? Because they belong to Jesus Christ with soul and body. They have been bought at a price. And this is a warning for everyone. Not just for men and young boys, but also for the sisters in the congregation. Christ died naked on the cross. And that has implications for how we act and how we talk and also how we dress. To wear inappropriately revealing clothing or to wear as little as possible is to show a lack of appreciation for what Christ did on the cross for you. Scripture says our beauty does not come from physical adornment and outward beauty, but that our, adorn, our adorning ought to be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Well, congregation, all this means that whoever thinks that he stands should be careful lest he fall. Sin can happen so easily. Sin against the seventh commandment happens so easily. Adultery can happen so easily. Nobody decide, wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to commit adultery. Um, we're good friends. We're good business associates. We get along so well. I respect her. I respect him. It doesn't just happen overnight. It comes often from people who have no intention of ever doing something like that who think it couldn't possibly happen to them. But if we think this way, congregation, then then we are not prepared to put hedges around ourselves and our marriages and around our children and our families. So the warnings need to be sounded against all of us, not only amongst the young, but also those of us who are older. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the Apostle Paul writes. Practice the presence of God in your life and not the presence of impure thoughts. Remember that God knows your thoughts even before you know them or think them. That is an incredible thought, is it not? I trust most of you know the story of Joseph. Joseph was a slave in the house of Potiphar and Potiphar was gone on a business trip and Potiphar's wife said to him, come sleep with me. She enticed him to sin. And what did he say? He said, well, no, I don't think your husband will like that. No, he didn't say that. And neither did he say, well, I'm afraid we might get caught. No, he didn't say that either. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against the Lord? That's what he said. 
So it comes down to the fear of the Lord. Do we fear the Lord? Do you fear God? The Bible says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do we have a sense of his glory and his holiness and his majesty and his transcendence? And that this God makes us a dwelling place, a temple. All too often our thoughts of God are that he is one who who is there to, to help us in trouble or fix our problems. If we have cancer or or we lose a job or something like that. But do we fear the Lord more than we fear all these things? Because the fear of the Lord is a call to radical holiness. And do you wonder how we can learn more to fear the Lord? Maybe by memorizing his, his words. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And again, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what kind of stuff are you feeding your brain and your mind? What kind of thoughts and words are you storing up in your heart and in your mind? What kind of hedges are you building around your mind? And around your home, and around your relationships, and around your family. Are you sticking with the word of God? Are you sticking with the people of God? Are you choosing your friends wisely? Are you willing to hang out with people who who are able to hold you accountable? Instead of hanging out with people who lead you into temptation. The wisdom of Proverbs tells you to stop putting yourself in a vulnerable position. Stop ignoring the warning lights. Don't be like that foolish young man that we read about in Proverbs chapter 6. What what is the author of Proverbs saying? He says, son, don't go down that road. Don't go there. Stay out of that neck of the woods. Leave her alone. Don't go near her house. Don't be a fool. Don't watch that movie. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't take your cell phone with you when you go to bed. Don't be a fool. Why would you be a fool? A fool lives as if there is no God. As if he can, cannot see you. As if God is not to be feared. That's the definition, biblical definition of a fool. And so the warning is, don't be a fool, because if you live like a fool, you might end up being a damned fool. And I use that word deliberately. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That's not a reference to dying from a sexually transmitted disease. That's a reference to the eternal damnation of your soul. And in James chapter 1, the Holy Spirit puts it this way. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That is where the road of the fool ends up. So if you are caught up in the world of pornography and sexual sin, then you need to talk to someone and you need to get help. And I urge you to do that. Because that is not the narrow road that leads to life, but it is a broad road that leads to destruction. Don't let the enemy gain a foothold 
in your life and the life of the ones that you love. Don't do anything that would entice you to unchastity. And don't make excuses for yourself. One author put it this way, it's not the wind that determines the direction in which you sail, but it's the way that you set your sails that determines how you will catch the wind, and that determines the direction in which you sail. So if your eye causes you to sin, are you willing to pluck it out? If you're looking at the wrong stuff, are you willing to get rid of it? If your hand causes you to sin, are you willing to chop it off? If you're fondling what you're not supposed to be fondling, are you willing to stop and do what it takes to escape that sin? Well, how can we live as temples of the Holy Spirit in such an ungodly and sex-crazed world? And let's not think that this is an odd thing. The world that the Apostle Paul lived in was no different than ours. And it might seem like an overwhelming task, an even impossible one. Because we know, as Christians, that we are weak. We are all weak in ourselves. And we are also aware of the temptations that are out there, and the ones that appeal to our nature. And we're also aware how how often we have not kept ourselves pure. And then the thought of being a temple of the Holy Spirit might fill us with fear. The congregation, beloved congregation, that's not what it's meant to do. Being a temple of the Holy Spirit should teach you to look not to yourself and your own strength, but to the God who saves you. As a Spirit-filled Christian, we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in Christ and the Spirit of Christ. We would never dare to say that the Holy Spirit is not strong enough to overcome this sin, would we? He is. And then remember that you were baptized with the Spirit of Christ. And remember God's promises and your baptism. He grants His grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask Him for it. And He will strengthen you by the power of His Spirit. But then you must also honestly confess your sins to Him. And ask Him to forgive you for the sake of Christ's sacrifice. And He will because He is a God who has compassion. He loves to forgive Remember what we quoted after the Lord's Supper this morning from Psalm 103. He will will put your sins as far away as the east is from the west. Christ truly redeems us also from sins against the seventh commandment. You know the story of the woman caught in adultery the Pharisees dragged her in front of Jesus. And you read about that in John chapter 8. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in an act of adultery. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? They wanted to trap him so they could charge him with something. But what did Jesus do? What was his answer? Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Well, if we were there, we would do what they did. They started walking away, beginning with the oldest to the youngest until they were all gone. Given the statistics and given 
the reality in which we live and our own sorry history in this regard. I know that there are many people, perhaps some of you listen here right now, who think that you are beyond forgiveness. Some people have the notion that by sinning against this commandment in a, in a very terrible way, they have committed an unforgivable, unforgivable sin. Sometimes people think that they have sinned themselves, themselves out of the love of God. But Scripture says that if you truly repent, and if you sincerely realize the enormity of your sin, and, and you throw yourself upon the grace and mercy of God, there is forgiveness, and you may be assured of pardon. But then, listen to what the Lord Jesus said to this woman. He said, neither am I going to accuse you, but go and sin no more. Only in forsaking sin will you discover the wonder of forgiveness. And then, of course, there are those who have been sinned against by others. And that also makes us feel dirty. Sometimes if we have been sinned against in this way, we feel too dirty. We think God might not even want to look at us. The congregation, my brother, my sister, be assured that in God's eyes, your status as a temple of the Holy Spirit, can never be changed because of what someone else has done to you. What others do to you does not change God's perception of you as his precious child. There has been much failure also in our lives when it comes to the seventh commandment. The congregation, there is also much grace and much forgiveness. If only we remember and confess, I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has paid for me with his precious blood and washed away my sins. You have been bought with a price, so honor God with your body. Amen.